As a performer, your body is there. Hi, I'm Mad Kate, and you're listening to Sweat, sexuality, work, extraction, art, theatrics. Sweat is a series of conversations about performance and performativity of the sexual and sexualized body at work, where work is defined as the labor of survival, the labor of care, creativity, and capital A, art. How exactly do we define our work? And how does that work entangle and circumscribe our sexual identities, our creative lives, and the ways in which we provide care? How do we perform tasks, acts of care, and identities? Anchored in our always already sexualized and racialized bodies, our complex intersectionalities, these conversations are about how we relate to our work and to each other through performance of work and creativity. I hope that they contribute to dialogues which normalize sex work as work and all work as deserving of respect, healthy conditions, and a living wage. It is very important to question everything that we have it as given. For me, when I go to a theater, I always feel, oh, why now should I see it? Why the lights go dark? Or why do we accept all these conventions? Or why do I accept that the person uh, plays a character, you know, and then puts aside their own personality? The fact that there is a group of people and you cancel the, the experience of being in a group, you know, when you enter in a theater, I find it a bit awkward that there is this bidirectionality but there is not so often this sharing. This month's conversation is with performance artist Montserrat Gardot Castillo, who curated the series Politics of Invitation at Forum Freies Theater Dusseldorf, together with Monika Ginsdorfer and Anik Choco. And for the last two years, she's been working on the topic of brutalism with works online and site-specific in North Rhine-Westphalia, Germany. I spoke to her in 2022 in the context of my ongoing work with Adrian Teicher on cultures of extraction within artistic practices. When you do a dance education, you are trained to be available for somebody else. So my body is available to receive indications and to execute them. And then when you start working, you are absolutely an available body. Of course, I try to work with the people that I felt I want to be available for or I want to collaborate. But the problem is that most of the time this collaboration is not expressed as a collaboration, but as a power. With Montserrat, we spoke about the new ways in which she approaches interactivity and shared experience in theater, how to rethink collaboration and collective resources and the politics of the available body on stage. We have this virtual road movie called Brutology. 12 spectators who signed up for an online performance. Could you tell us a little bit about what this project is and about the processes of collaboration involved? So the idea of uh, doing online work came, of course, through Corona. <laughs> and then we started to do prototypes. We call them the prototype sessions, where we were inviting some friends, like around five to, to eight, to gather every 15 days, and we would try to propose some formats. That somehow the main goal was to try to generate something online that engages differently our attention and perception, that is not a video, that you generate a community. And also how to try to engage this, the attention and perception in a different way that I can really commit to what I'm seeing, that it's not also that it's not only a, a uh, visual experience, 
but that it might be um, extended. So uh, we had like six prototype sessions and then that evolved into this, uh, we call it the Ruin Loss Trilogy. The topic was uh, somehow brutalism. And then we use different um, techniques that also I encounter. In, for example, we use desktop narrative. We were trying to do a remote uh, concert as well. Uh, we had some exercise of like, we call it the collective mind. So it was between exercise and also exercising collectivity or community. So the, the evolution into the movie or into the Brutology and Online Road movie, it, has, it had different elements. Like first it was like meditation hypnosis because uh, with the topic of brutalism came very often the, the concept of alienation. And we tried to play through hypnosis with a uh, dissolution of identity uh, from the spectators. So somehow <laughs> the main idea was, okay, we're going to dissolve their identity and we're going to put them inside the image. And then there was like a guided meditation. Then there was uh, interaction uh, where we, we assign a new identity to the participants. And then the participants, they were trying to answer within like maybe a new identity or like this conflicting maybe themselves. I think the questions were broad enough that there was this intersection of, or oh, should I answer as me or as the person? So yeah, and then some the move, and then they the movie was had subtitles, and they were each one had a character, and they were reading or they were dubbing the movie, and they were playing different characters from the movie. The idea of hypnosis came. I was reading uh, the the Celestial Wheel from Ursula Kallegin, and it was about one man that he was dreaming and the dream would affect reality. And I, wa I was so obsessed by the fact that somebody external can manipulate your mind through hypnosis. And then that's why it came this idea of like, oh, we really need to try to do hypnosis, even when it's not, uh, I don't know how real it was for the participants, but I was really obsessed by this uh, hypnosis and trying to pick the mind of a... <laughs> Yes, or what does it do to you when somebody is telling you, you are there, you know? Also, all like being in a road and also following the protocol we were establishing, it was also like the, the idea of like infrastructures, that whenever you are in an infrastructure, you follow a protocol, that being like the Zoom or, I don't know, the, like the riverside we are in now or the Zoom or the road, you always follow a set of a protocol that maybe you are aware or know or partially aware. That was also the idea to confront with like a set of rules. I think that we often think about these technologies as kind of like, oh, they just, they just enable us to do things. Like Photoshop just enables me to make images. I think the road is a great metaphor or a highway. Uh, it's, really, it's really a good way to think about this. They really do, they do direct us in, in, in ways we can't even perceive, basically. It forces you to think in a way, and we don't, we don't realize how much that is. That it forces to, to have a certain pattern of who is talking, like who, 
how we listen that also the for example for me it's really crazy that whenever I had a meeting online I can see myself and then sometimes you observe yourself how you talk and this is so weird that normally you don't have that in normal conversations yeah Yeah, it's part of this age of the selfie age and and this constant reflection, these constant mirrors that we have. Did you get some feedback from the participants to kind of understand how they felt and what was your process of getting feedback? Yes, actually, after every um, performance, well, no, I don't know, experience, we had an after talk that normally in context of theater, we never have or not so often. And I really appreciate it. And it was really cool to see how the people felt that also the problems of technique was all, all the time. Ah, it was cool, but at that, that time it was a bit like, um, for example, the, you could never see the video absolutely clear or clean. And, and there was all constantly this uh, technology frustration that they couldn't read. Some people could read well the subs, some people not. So, Like having to do with internet speeds and access, in a sense? Yes. Uh, also, we had some people that they, they felt they were really in, into, in the road. I mean, we were recording a video, like we put a GoPro camera on the front of the car, and then we were recording the streets, like mostly in Czech Republic, also Barcelona and, and Germany. And then the idea was to be really in the street together or in the road together. And for some people, it really worked. Part of our work in terms of um, extraction or thinking about extractivism has been thinking about the opposite, which maybe is collaboration or non-hierarchy. And I'm, I'm kind of curious how you feel like this has actually functioned for you and your project and in your experiences, how... There's sometimes a disconnect between what one intends and how one goes about it and then how one actually experiences it. I'm curious from your perspective what maybe you have some thoughts on that. Yes. So I've been working many years in like a sort of a normal constellation of theater. Like you present something and public receives it. And then the more like the more I started to work on myself, like on my own work, I felt it is very important to question everything that we have it as given. Like also, for example, for me, when I go to a theater, I always feel, oh, why now should I see it? Why should I, why the lights go dark? Like why all these conventions or why do we accept all these conventions? Or why do I accept that the person uh, plays a character, you know, and then puts aside their own personality? I don't know. There is a lot of things that you really have to start from zero, And what do I want? What is it? Like, what effect do I want to produce? So what is it, you know? And for me, I think the fact that there is a group of people and you cancel the, the experience of being in a group, you know, when you enter in a theater, I find it a bit awkward that there is this unidirection or like this bidirectionality, but there is not so often this, this sharing, And then, like, uh, with Politics of Invitation, whenever I had the possibility to, to more, um, I don't know, uh, give the input of, of the Politics of Invitation session, I always try to feel that, for me, the invitation was also an invitation to the theater, so for the public. I think, for, I think this Politics of Invitation was born as the theater 
wants to reflect on what does it mean to curate. And for me, the idea of inviting was always uh, not so much to the artist, but to the public. What does it mean to be together somewhere? And I was thinking, like, the first session we did, it, was, it had to be a party. Sometimes in, besides Berlin, um, there is this, this thing that Germany is not really a party uh, culture, you know? So everyone, the theater, they, were re- they, were, they wanted to open the theater and they were very scared that the party would not really be a party party, you know, a funny party. And then, and then they, it came they think, no, like a party it has to be done together. I can't offer a party. The party, we, we have to feel like we can put great DJs that play great music but there has to be a commitment or oh, we want to be in the party or oh, we want to make party. And from that, it came a lot, this idea of I can invite, but you have to be a guest. I love it. I mean, it is such a relationship. It has to be. And I, I, can, I can really feel and understand and I've had experience with this, this kind of timidness of the theater because they are unused to these kind of informal constructs and sometimes not trusting that they can function. Uh, And yeah, I think also because there's such a commercial relationship around selling tickets and having people come. So there's like, okay, will they be drawn by basically the, the person on the bill, like the DJ, for example? Or is there something else that draws people, like the kind of thing that draws people to a party? Like how, and... I mean, how did you feel like you could create that? Or how did you feel like the theater helped you create that sense of people bringing also themselves or bringing, being part of the party, the creation of the party? Like a party is a, is a mind state. The same like to, linking it to the hypnosis, you know, you have to, you have to change a state of mind. That when you go into a theater, what is your expectation? What you get, you know? And, and there was something, we have to modify the state. Uh, you have to transform. And there are different things. Of course, of course alcohol. We were giving alcohol also in the, in the closing uh, session from Politics of Invitation. But then there was also, we had this uh, of the makeup. Or, or like we offer different, like we call it the transformation area where you couldn't get in the party without a transformation and you could choose what you wanted to use. Like it could be like to put a, like a piece of cloth or like, like sticker tattoo. Like there were different levels of transformation that everyone could find something or painting the nails or putting, of course, glitter or makeup and and though I think that was already a step of oh I want to commit already, <laughs> I I I am doing a step for it. And I, I think also when you ask the people to engage, like wh- what we experienced when we were doing the online road movie, there was one feedback that say oh I was giving a character uh, in the in the movie and I felt now I cannot leave because maybe my character is important. And I think when you are given a task to fulfill, then your level of attention is different. Yeah, you're invested. You're invested exactly. in a way. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think it's, we, I mean, it's, it has a lot to do with magic and ritual and the idea yes. of entering the space and, and changing something about yourself. You change the clothes you wear or something. So there is this break between everyday life. And I, yes, I think that the only ritual that the theater has basically is that you sit 
in normally and you sit you sit in uncomfortable seats and the lights go down like that's the ritual of the theater basically that's the only thing whereas it sounds like you are um looking at other ways that we can prepare um the audience to to go into some kind of transformation um but it seems like you were you were setting the rule like the rules like you had you know like we do this that you have this you can go through here but you have to transform um uh yeah I'm not, I'm not critiquing that but um uh do you ever feel uneasy in the hierarchy then that that you have when you're you're setting the frame for this collaborative performance yes uh, this was um we were collaborating for the brutology online role movie we were collaborating with a dramaturgist he's from barcelona and he really constantly he had this um this um he was very resistant to bossiness no to uh, to being given a task uh, and then I, I also remember once um we were trying when we did the prototype sessions we were trying um something where we were give, we were writing on the chat and people had to read and then we were playing on we were not there but we were giving indications in the in the chat and and sometimes also the indications would be okay do this you know and and i remember this friend that told us too much freedom is no freedom <laughs> That to them, too much democracy, it's no democracy. That sometimes when, for example, it's a super typical situation. You arrive and you say, okay, please, can you present each other? Uh, or can you present yourselves? And then who starts? And then there is this awkward moment. The one that starts means that they are very forward going. The one that stays. And there is this inner, um, inner taking the power. Mm. That when you don't take power, there is somebody that's going to take it. Mm. So sometimes it's not so much, at, oh, my way of seeing is not so much a, obliging the people to follow rules, but it's to set a protocol and they can be against it. How does it work within your own group in terms of these kinds of politics of who begins? I think every group has a different dynamic. Uh, even in different times, there are different dynamics. Like also last year we were working in a project called Place Internationale that it was about La Commune de Paris, the Paris Commune. And then we were a group of people and then we decided, oh, we will not have uh, anyone leading. We will take all the decisions together. <laughs> and then in the second day there were no decisions taken. And then it, felt, it was the collapse, you know. And then... Uh, I have the feeling there's never, um, or an, with another project I did also, if everything has to be approved by everybody, fully approved, there, there is never a perfect version. Like I remember once we had to write a text and we started with this uh, Microsoft Docs and then it would be changed until the infinitum. And then at some point it was, oh, please, can we decide after this time there is no more changes you know and I accept somebody else and then it's also about accepting that this part is going to be taken in charge by that person and this part by, by the other and maybe I think it's to try to find this common ground where I can accept that that person is at this moment taking charge of this. Do you ever encounter this kind of sense of like okay this, this there's there's failure here 
And how do you, yeah, does that ever happen? And how do you, how do you think about that? And how do you process that? I mean, like, because I worked uh, very many years as a performer and in collaborating with a group that you have the control. And I think once you, you make a score for the public, then you don't have the control at all. Like at some point, I had to accept things that I, that I felt, oh, that's going to fail, you know, or that's going, oh, I, I feel very embarrassed right now. And then you have to accept and you got, have to go through it. And, but I think I, I am not afraid of failure because I think when I see something too perfect, it brings nothing or too control. I think people generally underestimate what audiences are willing to do. Like we did a performance, uh, a ritual performance we did 24 times called Critical Magic. And uh, I was skeptical at first about what, what we could actually do together. And it's, it every time blew my mind. I think if the context is right and there is and people f- and there is authenticity from you, yeah, people really they want to go in. But we also made space for we also set up the thing in such a way that people could have different degrees of of in- interactions. Yes, if somebody doesn't want to participate, you don't insist. I'm really curious about how you as a as a body, you know, feel inside of these performances. Um kind of beyond maybe what the performance is about, but that some of the micropolitics of your own experience, um, maybe being red female, I don't know if that's how you identify, or being red white uh, as well, I don't know if that's how you identify and how that, it, do you feel like that person on stage? Does that transform? How does that affect the way in which you take up space or feel like you can? Yes, this is for me is a big topic because I like I worked seven years and a half in the context of a company, and I I felt very much sexualized. But like once you're out, of course, you realize it much more. Also, for me, it was really great that you put the name of extractivism because it really helped me a lot to see it in like things that I already was thinking about I think it's a very great image or concept to think it about yeah I felt I was very much sexualized I had to wear very often high heels on the performances which in a way I was happy not to appear as a dancer on stage but more as a human being that wears shoes but now I don't want to wear high heels ever just maybe if I, I decide, okay, I want for this precise moment to wear heels, but I don't want to that anybody's asking me to wear heels. The same, I don't want anybody asking me to get naked on stage anymore. <laughs> or there, there are things that I, I think there are some things that just can come out of you that I think they shouldn't be asked. I think a choreographer doesn't, they they cannot ask or a director cannot ask somebody to get naked. Oh, I'm I'm curious to hear more about that because I I often perform naked and I suppose I've asked collaborators as well to if they're willing to do that and I'm um yeah, I'm curious to hear more about your feelings about that. Yes, for me I have the feeling if it's a common if you feel okay, yes, I really want to do and I also feel and I understand it, you know. But for me, nudity connects to a, a higher degree of privacy and also of exposition. <laughs> Somehow, I, I got my worst comment 
about my body when I was naked. The, for me, it, it brings a certain level of vulnerability and fragility that if I, if I understand the purpose, I can say yes or no. Also for me, it, is a, 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 it makes a big difference. For example, I, um, once I was seeing this Xavier Leroy performance where himself, he was also naked. And for me, if the choreographer is going naked and he's going through that same process, then for, it, it is an, it's a, it's a different than a person saying, okay, you go naked now. Yeah, we t- we're, that's, that's normally what we're doing is we're, we're normally performing with um, other performers in this naked context. But what you raise is a good point about these kinds of divisions of labor in the theater context and who is expected to do what. So, for instance, we saw a performance recently where like um, some of the people are like taking a shit on stage. And it's great. I mean, it's very radical or whatever, but you can be sure the intendant of the theater is never going to come out and take a shit on stage. And so it's a question of like, who does that? Who is vulnerable in that way? Who will make themselves vulnerable? It's so naturalized that this person will do this and this person does that. Of course, the intendant doesn't take a shit on stage. But without that kind of reciprocity, then yeah, it can very quickly feel like I'm being exploited and and that my nudity is being instrumentalized for the theater. Yes, for for me in my education, I, I I went through the dance education, and it was clear that at some point I would have to go naked, and the teachers were like, I mean, yeah, like you will have to go naked, you have to feel comfortable in your body, and I think it it can be a really great process or to to go naked, and also I love to see pieces where where there there is nudity involved, as long as the people they are will, like they are willingly putting themselves in this situation. But I also I know many cases where people didn't want it to be naked on stage, and they were somehow appealed to do it. Yeah, I think this question about willingly is really good, and it, it talks about Kate talks thinks a lot about consent. Yes. So if you're a dancer and you're expected to get naked, and it's part of your um, your role and career path, mm-hmm. to what extent are you willingly doing this this thing uh, especially when it's the job opportunity right mm. like when it's the you know you need the money it's a nice opportunity otherwise yes. or you like the you know generally you like the choreographer it can become very tricky also i remember you you were asking about it that i didn't i didn't answer to that no uh, to, because i was entering about me feeling a, a female body and also me feeling a white body because I collaborate often with people from Ivory Coast, and there's always like this: well, how how can I face this? You know, of be, this privilege, uh, or like also I have a lot of friends from Latin America, and sometimes it's to always mm, be aware of your position and verbalize it. You know, and if you are like I think we we are we should be able to speak about any issue, just if we make sure what is our starting point or what, what is my voice and my voice is this one and I'm going to speak up, up about that and this is my perspective you know and I think if there's always like a context that I think we we should be able to and respect of course but there should there's always the possibility to speak about everything I think yeah absolutely I think that's a great point but it's a good reminder that every collaboration can start that way Yes, and also, if there is a conflict, just express it. There was one piece where I had to learn kabuki. If I feel I am being appropriationist, just to say it. 
And I think whenever you make conscious, conscious and, and verbal this uh, paradox... Yeah, I think that, um, that, that making these, these things visible is a really important step because we won't eliminate everything. Uh, we, we cannot eliminate every kind of hazard in the work that we do. I feel also like my education uh, was absolutely in Western standard contemporary dance. And sometimes I'm, I, I hate it so much that I refuse often to dance because I, I have the feeling it's all like this appropriated language that nobody would consider as appropriation, but it is. And I've been appropriating like 20 years, since 20 years, you know. And there's also like a mix of like, I don't know, postmodern dance and then uh, modern dance uh, from US. And then like, and it's so crazy. And yeah, but what should I dance? Flamenco? Which like, no way. You, you, you know, it's all these uh, questions that they are so... Um... Oh yeah, it's endless, especially with the forms the body takes, because how can we, you know, even, even if you say, let's dance from what comes out of me, you know, no authentic movement. It's, yeah. it's already it's already been coded and already I've been influenced. So yes, yeah, our language it's everything a meme. <laughs> I think so too, and I don't expect you to have the answers to this because it's a very difficult question, and and we're also trying to figure it out. But how could artists try to eliminate this potential for harm in the work? Uh, I don't know because sometimes I I even feel like dance in a way can be harmful if you dance too much or like if you are very exhausted you know sometimes like because I, I went through this uh, classic um, education and and sometimes I I mean or I very much say that I think ballet is a sort of violence also to the bodies so I don't know sometimes I think it is very important to sp to speak it through if you like to to ha to be in a constellation that you are free to say, oh, now I don't feel comfortable, or now yes, or for example, also recently I was with these friends that they were very much into oh, let's let's um, let's wear sexy, let's wear a corset or stuff like that, and for me I felt no, this is a no go area for me because I don't want to sexualize, but I feel sometimes it can be useful, and I think you, each person is in a different trip in a different moment. And if you are in the trip of sexualizing yourself or putting a lot of makeup or drag, uh, going drag, it's absolutely fine as, lo as long as it's your own trip and you want to be in it. And if somebody asks, and for example, for me also, when, like when I had to go naked, you know, I was, as long as you work on that scene, as in any other scene, you work and you really watch and watch and that it becomes what you want to, to, to say and I feel comfortable in it, great. I was also in a, in a piece from Tino Sigal that implied nudity, but it was in the dark and I felt absolutely saved. I felt very much on a safe space and taken care of. Maybe nudity or sex, like the body being sexualized comes under a kind of microscope and gets amplified. Uh, I'm curious if there's other things that are equally kind of vulnerable, but that actually don't have to do with sex or the explicit body, but maybe feel in the same way things that you would perhaps feel are exploitative or extracted from. Uh, when we had this last Politics of Invitation, we had a run of talking. And I remember a lot, there was um, one of, ex uh, one of the uh, more that he's part of this Migrant Politan, 
he was talking a lot about this relation of being guest and being host. And somehow I feel because I started, because when you, when you do a dance education, you are, you are trained to be a servant, to be, at the, at the avail, to be available for somebody else somehow. Of course, you can, you can also be available to yourself. You can do self-exploitation. But somehow it's like I, I am working so my body is available to receive um, indications somehow and to execute them. And, and then for when, when you start working, you are absolutely an available body. And somehow you are also at the service of some, somebody, which of course I want, like, or I try to work with the people that I felt I want to be available for, you know, or I want to collaborate. And then there is a collaboration. But the problem is that most of the time this collaboration is not uh, expressed as a collaboration, but as a power um, uh, relation. That there is somebody that hires you and pays for you and is directing and then you are also credited like this. And for example, in politics of invitation, we were trying that there is to break with even like the visual hierarchy of like who is inviting and then the guest. And then, okay, can we try to do it other way? Or like, for example, if there is, can, it, can there be four lines of directors? <laughs> Instead of like, because it's, no, no, there is no, there is only the space for one name. Or like for, for two names. No, but there are six names, you know, on the headline. And it's so stupid, these things, you know. But sometimes it's how can we shift and how can be everyone credited? Or also I, I have troubles to take control, for example, in the relation with the theater. I think in a relation to a theater or to the funding bodies or whatever, you know. I, I feel I'm, I'm a, the eternal guest, because I mean, I'm in Germany and I'm I'm from I'm Spanish. I'm eternal guest from from the country that also is giving me fundings. That also I'm allowed to now collaborate with the theater. But I feel if I do something wrong, <laughs> I think it rem- it reminds me a lot of this whole kind of infinite debt concept that comes from like Nietzsche and um, and Deleuze and. We end up in these situations where we were, we have this debt to people that we can never repay we have to the funding bodies, to the theaters, to the German state for letting us mm-hmm. be here. Even yes, yes. and this is a, is a this is a, is a is a hierarchy that already exists, and I don't actually know how you could disturb that in theater. I mean, could you imagine turning the gaze back on the funding bodies and having them justify themselves? And uh, yes. I remember once I, I was at the piece that received the prize and then uh, they decide, okay, we're going to split it in equal parts. And that was a problem for, I don't know, whoever gave the prize <laughs> because they say, no, you have to spend it like, I don't know, you have to spend it all together as a group, no? And then they say, no, but we don't work as a group. We want to divide. And then there was this, this guy that he was also an artist that was put in the position of asking us to justify what did we spend these 2,000 euros, you know? Yeah. And then at some point he's like, well, if I did holidays, so what, you know, with this price? So, and, and it's like, why we need all the time to justify ourselves and our work, you know, and also even with the system of Anträge. Yeah. Why I need to, to be 100% sure of what I want to do uh, six months before I start even to rehearse, you know. And it's, 
I think all this is under, like, it's undermining or it's making you feel you are the eternal guest asking all the time for attention or... And that it can be taken away from you. And yeah, I I sometimes wonder if they're... It's sometimes weird because it, it, it works so well to make people feel insecure. And I get like on the one hand conspiratorial and like it's a plan. But then on the other hand, I think somehow it's not. It's somehow it's somehow just like the way this organism of our society has evolved. Yeah, indeed. There's a lot of consent involved in it somehow. You know, I, I don't know that I have been. Yes. Well, I, I guess because I still also feel a guest that I just don't feel empowered to try to somehow undermine this funding process, or I, I don't even know how I would if I desired. I don't know. I also don't know better solutions at the moment. But. Yes, I, I mean, I think first, like the number one thing is uh, to stop feeling or to promote that there is no competition amongst uh, artists, yeah. that there is collaboration which I think the whole system also prepares you so that you compete or that we compete against each other, which for me, that is like the worst ever. Yeah, first of all, we all need to stop feeling resentful against who got the money and who not, or like stop watching lists or stop comparing. This is number one. I work with a producer that she said, there is money for everybody. (laughs) You just need to know how to take it or how to do it. And then, yeah, I think if we are united in a way, (laughs) if that would be possible, that would bring things to another level. Like also, I collaborate with people that they really try to support your work as well. And I collaborated with people that they try to keep you where you are. I would definitely go with the people that try to support your work. As you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking, however, of a lot of uh, friends who, after this de- more democratization of access to funding grants in the last two years, more widely distributed, I think there's a few who have said to me, you know, they applied for 12 different things and they got rejected from every single one and they're feeling really discouraged. Mm -hmm. And I think that this also, this feeling of discrepancy between all the people that did get funding and why they didn't, and they're struggling uh, financially. Like what, yeah, and again, I know there's no answers to this, but like, what can we, what can we do with situations like that? How can we help each other? Yeah, um, well, actually, I, I will be part now of, um, I think it's Collapse. There is a, it's a project initiated by Monica Gintasofa and other people. I think there will be a presentation in Berlin. And I think they want to work on having like a together, um, I don't know, that if somebody is really in need, they can, like, because it's what you say, Some sometimes you are just gifted or whatever, or you have a good concept suddenly, and then you are funded. Yeah, and other people not. Or maybe for, for a while you are hype. And then I think it's good to support other artists. And that support can be like economically, it can be recommending people as well. It can be sharing the resources you have. You know, if somebody needs space and you have a space, then to share it. It can be like also broadening, like to collaborate, to, to really to share, that would be the best. You just heard from performance artist Montserrat Gado-Castillo, who I spoke to in 2022 with my collaborator Adrian Teicher in the context of a research on art and cultures of extraction. 
Montserrat studied dance at the Institut del Teatro Barcelona and at the Folkwang UDK Essen, as well as journalism at the URL Barcelona. You can read more about her and the books that we referenced in the show notes. I'm Mad Kate, and you've been listening to Sweat, a series of conversations about performance and performativity of the sexual and sexualized body in work. The theme music was composed by me and features the voice of performer and actress Lori Baldwin. Sweat airs every second Tuesday of the month at 13 hours Central European time on Collaboradio Free Radios Berlin Brandenburg. Broadcasting on 88.4 FM in Berlin, 90.7 FM in Potsdam, and streaming online at fr-bb.org. Afterwards, it's available for streaming from your podcast app. Thanks, Monza, for this opportunity to talk about art with you, and thanks, dear listener. <laughs>